Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast. You honor us by listening in, and we're grateful for you. Um, Before we begin, I just want to encourage you to not let this podcast replace the local church in your life. God has designed it so that we are to join a local church and serve that body of believers and be shepherded by the pastor of that church. And that's something no podcast can give you. And so if you're not involved in a local church, let me encourage you to find one as soon as possible. Enjoy our podcast. Open your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 22. We are um, continuing the story of Elijah. We have two more weeks after this week in the story of Elijah, and then we will be finished with his story. Um, we, um, we, we finish 1 Kings today. Next week we will be in 2 Kings 1, and then we will conclude Elijah's story in 2 Kings 2 the following week. Um, and so as we finish up, Elijah's actually not in chapter 22 of 1 Kings, but we, we see a major moment in what happens in Ahab's story. Um, and, and so we have to read that as a part of this journey through the story of Elijah. Um, so 1 Kings 22, we're going to work our way through 40 verses today. I'm going to read those in parts as we work through the story, though. Um, we will start in verse 1. Um, Adrienne, as many of you know, has a biblical counseling degree. She has a bachelor's in biblical counseling. Um, we, we, would, we would love to, um, her and myself would love to eventually become um, certified as a counselor, being, being able to um, advance our skills in counseling a bit. Um, but, but, but we both have a passion for um, counseling people um, d- during times of, of struggle. Um, if you need counseling of any kind, please contact us. We want to talk with you. We can't necessarily solve all your problems. We may have to refer you elsewhere, but, but we want to start those conversations with you and help you um, as you struggle through sins, as you struggle through depression, as you struggle through um, so many trials of life. We, we want to counsel you through that. Um, but Adrian has a degree in counseling, and so um, I've seen a lot of, in the time that we've been married and even when we were dating, I've seen a lot of women come to her for counsel and for advice, which is awesome. I love that women um, tend, to, tend to see my wife as, as a mentor like this. She's an incredible woman, and, and, and I pray women continue to come to her for counsel and advice. Um, however, in the process of all of that, I've, I've also seen women come to her not for counsel, but just hoping she was going to tell them exactly what they wanted to hear. They came to her wanting counsel, but they actually just wanted her to affirm what they were already feeling. Um, But as they explained their scenario, as they explained what was going on in their life, um, that they would actually find, Adrian would find that what they were thinking about doing, the decision they wanted to make, was not wise. It was not good. It was not going to be beneficial to them in any way. And so Adrian would tell them that. She would counsel them, hey, what you're thinking about doing, do the opposite. Don't do that. That's going to be bad for you. But that's not what they wanted to hear. And honestly, they would come back multiple times to her talking about the same situation, and she would still tell them the same thing, and they would not receive it. So eventually, they would stop coming to Adrian because they already knew what she needed to say before they went into that meeting with her. So they would stop coming to Adrian, they would start going to other women to talk. And... Um, 
those women told them the exact same thing. In fact, some of them went to about 10 different people, and, and all of them told, um, all of them told the, the woman the exact same thing Adrian had told them, and, and that whatever they were wanting to do wouldn't be wise. And then those people went and did that anyway. And, and that's very frustrating. Um, but it's a similar scenario with what happens with Ahab in, in chapter 22. We're following this story. If you remember, we, we, we summarized chapter 20 last week. In chapter 20, an unnamed prophet um, denounced Ahab um, and said, Since you didn't destroy the king of Aram, God will destroy you. Last week in chapter 21, Elijah denounced Ahab and said, Since you did what you did to Naboth, God will kill you and dogs will lick up your blood. Ahab did repent at the end of chapter 21, but it was short-lived. He's going to go right back to where he was before. Chapter 22 is the third and final denouncing of Ahab. Another prophet is going to denounce him. Um, I'm going to read this story in parts. One note as we get into this story, um, chapter 22 never calls Ahab by his name. It, it just calls him the king of Israel. Um, as I was studying this, I thought, huh, I wonder, if that's, I wonder if there's a reason for that. I wonder if Ahab has devolved so much as a person that he's no longer worthy to be called by his name. He's just an animal. Um, but as I was studying and as I was talking to people who love the Old Testament, I found that's not the case. Um, there's three kings in this story. They call them the king, of, uh, the king of Israel, the king of Judah, and the king of... Um, the, the, I forget, I'm going to see in just a second. The, the king of the third place. They're just calling them out to differentiate who they are. And so um, as we're talking about Ahab here, what I'm going to do is when I read this passage and we see the word king of Israel, I'm just going to say Ahab. I'm not going to say king of Israel. Um, it's just going to help you not get so confused as we're reading this. Um, so, 1 Kings 22, I'm going to read verses 1 through 12 to get us started. For three years, Syria and Israel continued without war. But in the third year, Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, came down to the king of Israel. And Ahab said to his servants, Do you know that Ramoth Gilead belongs to us, and we keep quiet and do not take it out of the hand of the king of Syria? And he said to Jehoshaphat, Will you go with me to battle at Ramoth Gilead? And Jehoshaphat said to Ahab, I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. And Jehoshaphat said to Ahab, Inquire first for the word of the Lord. Then Ahab gathered the prophets together, about 400 men, and said to them, Shall I go to battle against Ramoth Gilead, or shall I refrain? And they said, Go up, for the Lord will give it into your hand. For the Lord will give it into the hand of the king. But Jehoshaphat said, Is there not here another prophet of the Lord of whom we may inquire? And Ahab said to Jehoshaphat, There is yet one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, Micaiah, the son of Imla, but I hate him, for he never prophesies good concerning me, but evil. And Jehoshaphat said, Let not the king say so. Then Ahab summoned the officer and said, Bring quickly Micaiah, the son of Imlah. Now Ahab and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, were sitting on their thrones, arrayed in their robes at the threshing floor at the entrance of the gate of Samaria. And all the prophets were prophesying before them. And Zedekiah, the son of Chenanah, 
made for himself horns of iron and said, Thus says the Lord, with these you shall push the Syrians until they are destroyed. And all the prophets prophesied so and said, Go up to Ramoth Gilead and triumph. The Lord will give it into the hand of the king. All right, so you remember the nation of Israel is split in two. There's a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. The northern kingdom is um, the capital city, Samaria. That's where they're at here. Um, the Ahab is the king there. The southern kingdom is capital in Jerusalem. Um, Jehoshaphat is the king there. You can learn more about Jehoshaphat if you want later. If you go to um, 2 Kings 22, 41 through 50, it gives kind of a summary of his time as king. Um, so, so, so go check that out if you want to know who he is. Basically, he started reigning when he was 35, and he reigned for 20 years. He was somewhat of a good king. He wasn't a perfect king, but, but he was somewhat of a good king. The text says he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, but he did not remove the pagan worship in Judah. He also made peace with Ahab. He made peace with a wicked ruler. Jehoshaphat comes up and kind of hangs out with Ahab, and they're chatting. And as they talk, they think about Ramoth Gilead. It's a city that Israel won in war um, earlier in the book, but they never went and actually took control of it. So Syria is still, still has it, even though they won it in war. As they talk, um, Ahab says, you know, that city has belonged to us for three years, but Syria has never released it to us. We've never done anything about it. So let's go battle to get that city. Will you join me? And Jehoshaphat says, let's do it. Actually, first, let's, let's hear what God says and see if we should go do that. So they gather prophets together. They gather 400 prophets together. These weren't prophets in the same sense that Elijah was. They weren't prophets that were actually going to speak the word of the Lord. They were basically chaplains of the king's court. They were prophets that were hired to be in the court. And they weren't really prophets. They were honestly more like spiritual cheerleaders for the king. They weren't prophets. They didn't speak what God had said to the king. They were more like cheerleaders. They spoke what the king wanted to hear. They made the king feel good about himself. So they gather the prophets together and they say, Hey, should we go to battle against that city? And the prophets say, yes, go. You're an incredible king. You've got a great military. Nobody can stop you. You are the greatest king in the land. Go to battle. You will certainly win. They are paid to do one job, speak well of the king. That they are more prophets of Ahab than prophets of God. Jehoshaphat isn't a perfect king, but he hears all this, and he's at least got a little bit of a good head on his shoulder, and he says, um, is there an actual prophet here who will tell us actually what the Lord says? He can see these 400 guys are a bunch of doofuses, and he, he at least is polite about it, but he says, hey, is, is there a real prophet around here we can talk to? And Ahab says, I mean, there is this one guy, 
but I hate him. He's, his name's Micaiah. I hate him because he, he never prophesies anything good about me. Every time he prophesies, it's I'm going to get destroyed and nothing I do is going to succeed and all of this. I don't really want to talk to him. And Jehoshaphat says, hey, go ahead and bring him. Let, let's hear from him. Let's at least hear what he's going to say. Hear what Ahab is saying about this. He says, I deserve to have good things said about me, and this guy never says it, so I hate him. I am worthy of people cheering me on, and he never does. Basically, he speaks the truth, and I don't want to hear it because the truth hurts. But Jehoshaphat says, let's hear him out. So the servants go to get Micaiah. And while they're gone to get Micaiah, these 400 prophets put on something like a show for Ahab and Jehoshaphat. Um, they make some horns. They're doing like a parade around, showing them, telling them how awesome they are. Um, have you seen the movie Beauty and the Beast? It could have been the cartoon or the live action one they made back in 2017. Have you seen that movie? If you have a daughter, you probably have. Um, but, but, but if you've seen that movie, think of the character LeFou. You know LeFou? He's this creepy little guy that follows the bad guy around. Um, the bad guy's name is Gaston. And, and so he follows the bad guy around, and um, he thinks Gaston, LeFou thinks Gaston is the most incredible person in the world. Um, he, there's actually a famous song that he sings. The lyrics go, no one's slick as Gaston, no one's quick as Gaston, no one's neck is as, as incredibly thick as Gaston. For there's no man in town half as manly, perfect, and pure, a pure paragon. You can ask any Tom, Dick, or Stanley, and they'll tell you whose team they prefer to be on. No one's been like Gaston, a kingpin like Gaston. No one's got a swell, swell cleft in his chin like Gaston. If your daughters are now singing that, I, I apologize. But um, that, that's basically what these prophets are doing. That They're singing about how awesome Ahab is. No one's slick as Ahab. No one's quick as Ahab. No one's got a neck as incredibly thick as Ahab. I mean, they're, they're singing this. They're telling Ahab how awesome he is. But we've seen his story He's not awesome. He's not. They're not actually giving him wisdom. They're just telling him how awesome he is. Do you have friends like that? Can I be honest with you? They're not your friends. Friends don't just tell you what you want to hear. Friends tell you the truth, even if it hurts. There was a girl I chased after one time in college. Um, she was just a real, I mean, looking back now, I'm like, why did I ever like that girl? But um, she was just really negative, really discouraging. She's really mean-spirited. She, she, you know, you, you, you had a conversation with her and you left, like, really discouraged all the time. But for some reason, I really liked her. My best friend told me, Hey, you need to stop chasing her. She's no good for you at all. And I ignored, his, I ignored the truth. I said, hey, I appreciate your opinion, but I really like this girl. So I continued chasing her, and it blew up in my face in a really discouraging way, and I learned my friend was right. And he was a good friend for telling me the truth. A, a, friend, <coughs> a friend who truly loves you will be willing to tell you the truth even if it hurts your feelings. 
Some people leave churches because they, they want a preacher like these prophets. That they don't want a preacher who will open the Bible and say, this is what God says and this is how you should respond. They want a preacher who's going to run all over the stage and make a really dramatic presentation of how awesome they are and say nothing about God, nothing about Jesus, and nothing about the Bible. These prophets even use the Bible to tell Ahab how awesome he is. Do you see in 11 and 12, Thus says the Lord with these, you shall push away, push the Syrians until they are destroyed. They, they say, hey, this, this message came from the Lord, even though it didn't. Some people want a preacher who will twist the Bible and make it all about them rather than about God. You know, they'll say, hey, Philippians 4.13, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. That means you're going to win this football game. No, it doesn't. What happens when they lose that football game? What do you tell them then? You can do all things through Christ is written by a guy in prison saying you can survive prison through Christ who strengthens you because I've done it. Or, or you know, Jeremiah 29, 11, God knows the plans he has for you. You're going to have all your dreams come true. Except the fact that Jeremiah said that to Israelites who were in exile in Babylon, basically as slaves. Some of the people he spoke to literally would die before that promise was fulfilled they wouldn't have a future and a hope but their grandkids would some people don't want a preacher that will tell them what their sin is they don't want a preacher who will confront them with specific sins even if they do that with with the hope of forgiveness in christ if they will repent you know when i taught the singles ministry at our church in louisville there was um, a girl who came a, a few weeks um, at one point, and oftentimes while I was preaching, while I was teaching in class, she would verbally object to things that I said in class that she didn't like. And one Sunday, I wasn't there. I think Adrian and I were visiting my family for Christmas, and so I had another guy teach, very good teacher. Um, it, it was Christmas time, so he taught about the birth narrative of Christ, and he taught about how Israel should have realized that the Messiah had been born. Um, but they were blind because of their sins. And this girl got into a debate with the guy while he was teaching about how he needed to be more compassionate toward the Israelites and, and think about things from their perspective. Even, even though the teacher kept referring to the fact that the Israelites are going to crucify Jesus one day, there's no, there's no seeing it from their side of the story here. They're blinded by their sin. And they had that debate in class I never saw the girl again because she stopped coming shortly after that because she disagreed with what the Bible says. Especially in our day, people don't want preachers who will say what is true, what the Lord says. 2 Timothy 4 says that in the last days, which, which by the way, we've been in since Jesus ascended, uh, the last days is not some time when you know, nuclear warheads are made and, and things are getting really intense and, and we're all gonna you know, see really crazy things happen. No, the Bible, the last days are from when Jesus ascends to heaven to when he comes again. We've been in the last days for 2,000 years. Um, so in the last days, 2 Timothy 4 says, people will not listen to sound doctrine, 
but they will accumulate teachers because they have itching ears, teachers that will suit their own passions, teachers that will tickle their ears. And you see that a lot today, even with some churches like ours. I don't want you to just think of liberal churches like, like you see that a lot today. People want preachers that, that are, people want sermons that are more like TED Talks. They want sermons that are more like stand-up comedy. They want sermons that are more like conspiracy theories. They want the preacher to be like a Fox News analyst instead of a preacher of the Word of God. There's a difference. There very much is a difference. If I spend all my time ranting about Trump and Pelosi and never do anything from the Bible, I have been an unfaithful preacher. I want you to understand that. Yet, if I were to spend all my time ranting about Trump and Pelosi, some of you would think it was the best sermon I had ever preached, even if I never referenced the Bible. Verse 4 of 2 Timothy 4 says they, that, that people will turn away from hearing the truth and turn aside to myths, turn aside to silly myths, things that don't matter. These preachers don't care about you. A preacher, a friend, or anyone else doesn't care about you if they won't tell you the truth. It's like a doctor who knows you have a fatal disease but doesn't give you the cure because it might upset you that you're dying. You know, you've got a terminal disease. I've got this pill you can take. If you take it, you will be healed. But I can't tell you that because if I tell you that you're dying, you're, you're going to be all upset and you're going to cry. And I just don't want to see that. And... and the reality is that he doesn't love, the doctor that does that doesn't love you. He loves himself and he loves his own reputation. So, <coughs> we get to the second part of the story. Start in verse 13. I'm going to read through verse 28. <coughs> and the messenger who went to summon Micaiah said to him, Behold, the words of the prophet with one accord are favorable to the king. Let your words be like the word of one of them and speak favorably. But Micaiah said, as the Lord lives, what the Lord says to me, that I will speak. And when they had come to the king, the king said to Micaiah, shall we go to Ramoth Gilead to battle or shall we refrain? And he answered him, go up and triumph. The Lord will give it into your hand of the king. But the king said to him, How many times shall I make you swear that you speak to me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? And he said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, They have no master. Let each of them return to his home in peace. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Did I not tell you that he would not prophesy good concerning me, but evil? And Micaiah said, Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, and all the host of heaven standing beside him, on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, Who will entice Ahab, that he may go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? And one said one thing, and another said another. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord, saying, I will entice him. And the Lord said to him, By what means? And he said, I will go out, and I will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all of his prophets. And he said, You are to entice him, and you shall succeed. Go out and do so. 
Now therefore, behold, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of these, your prophets. The Lord has declared disaster for you. Then Zedekiah, the son of Chenana, came here, came near and struck Micaiah on the cheek and said, How did the Spirit of the Lord go from me to speaking to you? And Micaiah said, Behold, you shall see on that day when you go into the inner chamber to hide yourself. And Ahab said, Seize Micaiah, take him back to Amnon and, and the governor of the city of Joash, the king's son, and say, Thus says the king, Put this fellow in prison and feed him meager rations of bread and water until I come in peace. And Micaiah said, If you return in peace, the Lord has not spoken by me. And he said, Hear all you people. They bring Micaiah in, the one who will tell them the truth. All the prophets are, you know, doing this parade, telling the kingdom how awesome he is. Um, they say, all the prophets are speaking well of the king. Your words better be like that too. And Micaiah says, listen, I'm going to say whatever the Lord says. I'm going to tell you whatever the Lord says. So he makes three statements over the course of this. The first statement, he comes near and they ask, should we go up to battle? Micaiah says exactly what the other prophets have said. You, you should go up. You're going to succeed. What? Is that what he said? Scholars seem to think Micaiah said that either out of intimidation and fear or out of sarcasm. I tend to think probably sarcasm. Uh, we get no indication that Micaiah is scared of, of Ahab. So, so probably he's being sarcastic there. Um, Ahab clearly doesn't believe him when he says that. He says, come on, tell me what you really saw in your vision. So there's a second statement. Ahab says, okay, I'll tell you. I saw the entire nation scattered on a mountain like sheep without a shepherd. In other words, you're supposed to be here caring for your nation like a shepherd cares for sheep. Instead, you're going off and you're going to die in battle, leaving them with no shepherd. And Ahab looks at Jehoshaphat and he says, I told you, I told you, he never speaks anything good about me. I told you this would happen. Micaiah then makes a third statement. He tells about a vision that he had. Um, it's a pretty interesting vision. It's similar to what happens at the beginning of the book of Job, if you've read Job. At the beginning of Job, um, the, an the angels come before God in, in heaven, and, and the devil's there, and the devil um, makes statements about Job, accuses Job, and God says, hey, why don't you go down and, and put Job through some trials and see if he curses me like you think he's going to. It's sort of a similar scenario here. Um, a spirit comes before God, um, and God says... Um, God has all these angels coming before him, and one of them says, Hey, I'll go down and, and I'll lie to Ahab if you want me to. And God says, Go, go do it. Go lie to Ahab. Maybe you're taken back by that. What? The Lord lies to Ahab? I thought lying was a sin, I thought God couldn't lie. But notice, God does not lie. God doesn't lie in this story. He allows a spirit to lie. The spirit goes into the mouth of these 400 prophets, these 400 morons, and they do their little show and tell Ahab how awesome he is, and they lie to him. God doesn't lie to Ahab here. God tells Ahab the, the truth through the mouth of Micaiah. Ahab should know which one is true. 
You got 400 people telling him exactly what they want to hear, but Micaiah is the prophet of the Lord. He's the one who speaks for God. And on top of that, he's got the inside scoop from Micaiah that this spirit has gone out. He knows this has happened, yet he chooses to listen to the 400 men instead of Micaiah. This is Micaiah's fault. Ahab has such a hard heart that he doesn't care to listen to the truth. Maybe you ask, but, but why would God use a lie in any way? Isn't lying a sin? Well, understand, God deals with people uh, according to their character. Psalm 18, verse 26 says, To the pure, God shows himself pure. To the crooked, God shows himself shrewd. God allows a lying spirit to go forth into the mouth of the prophets to make war against Ahab. He, he fights a liar with a lying spirit. That's what he's doing. But God tells Ahab the truth through Micaiah. Ahab just won't listen. So Ahab throws Micaiah in prison. Ahab says to Micaiah, when I come back, You'll see how dumb you are. When I go and win this battle like my 400 cheerleaders are telling me, you, you'll see how wrong you were. And I'm going to rub it in your face. And Micaiah just says to Ahab, hey, if you come back, if you come back alive, the Lord hasn't spoken through me. And thus, by Jewish law, he should be stoned as a false prophet if that happens. Ahab doesn't know how to listen to truth. You need to learn how to listen to truth. You need to learn how to receive truth. Some of you are in marriages where you and your spouse fight all the time. Can I tell you why that might be happening? It might be that you don't know how to receive the truth. You're not always right. You're not perfect. And the reality is you probably tell people, I don't think I'm always right, but every time someone speaks the truth to you, you clam up and you say, no, that's not true. Because I'm right. I know that I'm right. When you have that attitude, then anytime anybody gives you any kind of criticism, even if they are as kind as Mr. Rogers in doing it, when they do it, you will feel like they are waging war against you. But it might be good for you to listen to them. It's the reality that I can't always see what's wrong with me, that there are things wrong with me, there are things wrong with you, and we can't always see uh, ourselves what's wrong with us, and we need other people to do that for us. And God often uses other people to point those out in you so you can change and grow, but you will harden yourself to that if you don't listen. And the next time someone brings something up, you will respond even harsher than you did before, and you will thus harden yourself even more. And eventually, you are at a point where you will throw anybody that speaks against you into prison like Ahab does. Or maybe you won't throw them into prison like Ahab does, but maybe, maybe if someone makes you mad enough, you'll, you'll threaten to sue them, threaten to file a lawsuit against them. If your heart gets so hardened to a point where, where that's what happens, that is, you'll, like, you'll do stupid things like that. If that's who you become, you will become a black hole of a person who really nobody wants to be around. 
Maybe a good way to decipher this in you. Have, you. have you had a lot of friendships in the past that all came to some really harsh fighting end and you don't want to speak to those people today? You always assume it's because of the other person. Friend, it might be because of you. You're the common denominator in all these friendships. You need to train yourself to believe that you're not perfect. In fact, you are the exact opposite. You are a poor, wretched sinner. Your thoughts, your words, and your actions are all tainted with sin. When someone speaks the truth and points out a flaw in you, they may be right, and God may be using that to change you. I love the quote from Charles Spurgeon that um, when somebody speaks bad against you, Friend, don't get mad, for they could say, for you deserve to have a lot worse said about you. That's not the exact quote, but, but that's the idea. If somebody says something, says some kind of criticism against you, don't get mad. For what they just described you as is far better than you deserve to be described. When, when someone speaks criticism to you, when someone speaks against you, um, take a step back, search your heart, examine it next to Scripture, and see if what they said is true. If it is, repent and change. If it isn't, don't hold a grudge against them. They're a sinner too. Sinners are wrong a lot of the time. You need to learn how to receive the truth. You also need to learn how to speak the truth. Ephesians 4.15 says, Speak the truth in love and so grow up into maturity in Christ. Notice the truth in love. That's where we get off track a lot of the times when speaking the truth. We, some, some of you may clam up so much when people speak the truth to you because most of the time in your life when you've had the truth spoken to you, it's been in a really harsh way. Maybe it was your father who did it. Maybe it was your sports coach in, in uh, high school. Maybe it was a boss that you had at some point. When I was in high school, I worked at a pizza restaurant, and um, I started out there as a cook. Uh, where the cooks weren't cooking, they were responsible to go back and wash dishes. So I'm back there washing dishes, and um, my boss tells his son who works there, his son was a delivery driver. When he wasn't delivering pizzas, he sat out in the, in the restaurant and played video games on his laptop, and that's honestly what he preferred to do, just sit there on his computer and get paid for it. So um, it, my boss told his son, hey, go back and help Aaron with dishes which I didn't really want because I prefer to do dishes by myself. I can work faster um, when, I, when I can just work alone. So, you know, he, his son comes back there. His son doesn't want to be there. Um, and, and I'm sitting there. I'm scrubbing the dishes. I'm cleaning all around them. I'm getting everything off. And then I have to put it in this solution. And it's supposed to sit in that solution for 60 seconds. And then he can take it out and dry it and put it on the rack. So we're doing that. Remember, he doesn't want to be back there. So he's going to find any way possible to not be back there. So as I'm cleaning, he sees me doing dishes. And I wasn't doing dishes the way he does dishes. Um, and, and he said to me, you're not doing dishes right. And I said, what do you mean I'm not doing dishes right? He says, you're supposed to clean them like this. And he showed me how he cleans the dishes. And I'm thinking, what does it matter if the dishes get clean if I do it your way or my way? Um, so he goes up front. He leaves the dish area, what he wanted to do. He tells his dad that I'm not washing dishes properly. I'm not cleaning the dishes. And then he goes out and keeps playing his video games. 
Next thing I know, my boss is walking in the back. He's got a temper worse than the Incredible Hulk. And he's like, Aaron, let me tell you how to do dishes. He grabs a dirty dish out of the box. You take the dish, you take the, the sponge, you scrub the front, you scrub the back, you get all the debris off of it. You put it in the solution for 60 seconds. You let it sit there. You dry it, you take it out. Stop doing dishes wrong. I'm tired of hearing that you're doing dishes wrong. I want you to do dishes right. Do your job. And I'm sitting here like, where's your son at doing dishes? I'm the one doing dishes. But, but that example of my boss speaking the truth, that's how you shouldn't speak truth. Because it's not the truth spoken in love. I mentioned earlier you may be in a marriage where you and your spouse fight all the time. It might be because you don't know how to receive the truth. It might also be because you don't know how to speak the truth in love. It may be you don't know how to receive the truth. It may be you don't know how to speak the truth in a loving way. You know, you, it might be any number of things that you say. You know, I wish you could load the dishwasher appropriately. You know, you're just like your mom. She goes in the grocery store and she talks to 10 people while she's in there. She gets stuck in there. You're always getting us behind schedule. What's wrong with you? You're just like your dad. He's, he was a lazy deadbeat just like you. You know, I guess it would just kill you to put your socks in the hamper. You know, I work hard every day to provide for this family. The least you can do is dust every once in a while. None of those things are loving. None of those things will be received well by anybody. You know, John 1.14 says something very interesting about Jesus. Jesus, the word became flesh, dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Jesus spoke the truth, but he did it in a gracious way. Most of us probably fall on one of the sides of that. We either are all grace and no truth. That is, we never say anything that would upset somebody because we don't want to cause any problems or confrontation. We want to be gracious. This is the side I fall into. Um, I tend to not speak the truth when I need to. Um, and I tend to not tell when someone's upset me because I don't want to cause any conflict. Now, when I'm alone in my car driving home, I'll rant to myself about what I should have said. But very often I do not say what I should have said. And that's something I have to work on. You may be on that side. You may be all truth and no grace. That is, you love to tell people your opinion. You love to voice your opinion very dramatically, but you're a jerk when you do it. We've got to learn the balance. We've got to speak the truth, but we've got to do it in a gracious way. So the truth comes finish the story. Look at verse 29. So Ahab and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went up to Ramoth Gilead, and, and Ahab said to Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself and go into battle. You wear your robes. And, the, and Ahab disguised himself and went into battle. Now the king of Syria had commanded the 32 captains of his chariot, fight with neither small nor great, but only with, the, with, with Ahab. 
And when the captains of the chariots saw Jehoshaphat, they said, It is surely the, the Ahab. So they turned to fight against him, and Jehoshaphat cried out. And when the captains of the chariots saw that it was not Ahab, they turned back from pursuing him. But a certain man drew his bow at random and shot the king of Israel between the scale armor and the breastplate. Therefore he said to the driver of his chariot, Turn around and carry me out of the battle, for I am wounded. And the battle continued that day, and the king was propped up in his chariot facing the Syrians until at evening he died. And the blood of the wound flowed into the bottom of the chariot. And about sunset, a cry went throughout, through the army, every man to his city and every man to his country. So the king died. So Ahab died and was brought to Samaria, and they buried the king in Samaria, and they washed the chariot by the pool of Samaria, and the dogs licked up his blood, and the prostitutes washed themselves in it, according to the word of the Lord that he had spoken. Ahab refuses to listen to the truth. He goes to battle, and it's going to be detrimental to him. He gets there and, and he, he talks to Jehoshaphat and he says, Hey, if I'm here, everyone will know. So let me disguise myself as a soldier to protect myself. You go into battle in your robes, I'll dress up as a soldier. This is Ahab's entire story. His entire story has been about protecting himself and serving himself instead of protecting his people and serving his people. The king of Syria tells the chariots, only fight against the king of Israel, not the king of Judah. Don't worry about him. So they ambush Jehoshaphat's chariot, and they find it's not Ahab, so they pull back. So the trick worked. They went after Jehoshaphat instead of Ahab. But then, I mean, Ahab's probably thinking, yes, my plan worked, and Micaiah's wrong. Ha <laughs> ha! But then, <laughs> it's funny. It... 30, verse 34, a certain man drew his bow at random, struck Ahab. So picture this. Ahab's hiding out in his bush somewhere in a, in a chariot, and he's you know, cheering on, yes, my plan worked. They're not going to kill me. Micaiah's going to be wrong, and I'm going to rub it in his face. And there's just some kid in the group of people that attacked Jehoshaphat, and he just steps back, and he's like, man, I wanted to shoot my bow. Oh, well. just launches an arrow in the air at random. Jehoshaphat's sitting there in his chariot. Yes, I'm so glad I came up with a good plan to, to put Micaiah in his place. And ha, ha, ha. And oh, no. Like, that's what happens. That, that's how Ahab dies. The truth arrives in the form of an arrow, and the truth hurts. He starts bleeding out. The battle continues on as Ahab is sitting in his chariot bleeding out. And by the end of the battle, he dies. Ahab doesn't get a noble death. Like he doesn't go out fighting against the king of Syria in a sword fight depending, de defending his nation. He, de he, he doesn't lay his life down in battle. He's, he's hiding like a coward and he just gets hit by a random arrow that was fired out of nowhere. His, his death is like Hitler's. Hitler was hiding out in a bunker and being pursued by his enemy. He wouldn't even face them. He just took his life. He was a coward. 
They bring the chariot back to Samaria, the capital after the battle's over. They wash it, and the blood that runs down from Ahab, dogs lick it up. Look at that. The unnamed prophet from chapter 20 was right. God destroyed Ahab. Elijah from, from chapter 21 was right. Dogs lick up his blood. And Micaiah was right. Israel is, is a flock of sheep with no shepherd now. They didn't have a shepherd who cared for them before. Now they don't have a shepherd at all. If Ahab had just listened to the truth, he wouldn't have died. But he refused to hear the truth because it disagreed with him. You know, several hundred years later, Jesus would ride ashore in a boat in Mark chapter 6. He would see a great crowd there, and it says that he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Ahab was no shepherd. Jesus was a shepherd. He was the good shepherd. Is Jesus your shepherd? He's the shepherd of truth. When he speaks to Pilate, where we read before he dies, Jesus tells him that he came to testify about the truth. And Pilate responds, what is truth? Understand, you cannot be a Christian if you won't listen to truth. You must hear the truth that you're a sinner and that you need Christ to save you through his death on the cross. Have you received that truth? Would you receive it today? Would you believe that he actually wants your good when he says you're a sinner? Would you confess your sins and believe in him? If you haven't done that, would you contact me? You can call the church office at 229-382-1516. You can message the church here on Facebook. Or you can um, go to our website, mountzionchula.org. There's a contact button at the top. Click that. Write a message. It goes straight to my email, and I, I will get that. But if you have received Christ, would you understand there's still truth he has to speak to you? He has truths he, want to, he wants to teach you. You have sins in yourself that he wants to expose in you, so you will repent. He has things he wants, to, he wants you to do that he wants you to go and obey him in. Do not harden your heart. You will respond to the truth of Christ in one of two ways. You will either say, what is truth? Or you will say, speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. 